in Acts chapter 1, I have decided, and I just was, was thinking about it a lot last night and then mainly this morning, really didn't know exactly what we were going to talk about this week and was just kind of waiting on the Lord to show me something. And, and I really feel led that we need to, to, as a church together, go through the book of Acts. And so I, for the next several weeks, I think we'll just kind of treat this as like a study, going through the book of the Acts and learning what the early church went through, the things they accomplished, the struggles they had, and to bring it all the way through to the end of the book of Acts. And the book of Acts is uh, an interesting uh, book because it's the only one that doesn't have an official closing. It doesn't have an official end, and that's because we're still being written into that book of Acts because we're still believers in Christ. Amen. So in the book of Acts, well, today I'd like to go over chapters 1 and 2 with you, but uh, before we start, uh, let's just pray and ask the Lord's guidance and wisdom as we give His Word, and that way we make sure we don't make mistakes and we have His will done in everything we do. Amen. Father, we come to you today in Jesus' name. God, we give you thanks for your goodness to us. We thank you, Lord, for already today demonstrating your great love and mercy and grace unto us today. We thank you, Lord, for your presence. We thank you, God, for your word now. We ask, Lord, for the wisdom and the guidance and the ability to expound upon your word. We pray, Lord, for open hearts and minds that we may look and see what the early church went through. And as we study for the next several weeks, we'll look and see maybe some things that we could do that would uh, adjust our own lives that make it be more like the early church. So, Lord, we thank you for it today, and we ask you to lead us and guide us now as we look into your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, today's title, I would just like to call it um, The New Testament Church is Born. And here in chapters 1 and 2, this is where we see how the New Testament church was born. We left last week and we talked about uh, Jesus had been crucified, you know, and he was raised from the dead and then he had shown himself alive to his followers there in the Gospel of John a couple of times, and actually it specifies three times, and he ate a meal with them, and, and then he was carried away into heaven, okay? And that's kind of where we're going to pick up here in the book of Acts, and we'll just read through it, and there's a few points I'd like to make along the way, but we're just going to kind of treat this as a Bible study, okay, so that we can uh, understand uh, what it is and, and what kind of a family we're a part of, amen, because these, these are our people, Amen. These are our Christian ancestors who were living these stories that we're going to read about. Amen. Uh, Acts 1 and verse 1 says, The former account I made, O Theopolis, of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach, until the day in which he was taken up, after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. And in verse 5, for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And in verse 7, he said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. And just one point I would like to make right there on that verse. 
There has been a lot here lately, and especially the last 10 or 15 years, there's been a lot of so-called prophets swelled themselves up and claimed that God had spoken this and that and that, that the Lord was going to come in such and such a time. And a lot of people are saying that, well, the Lord's going to come now because America's the last stronghold and whatever. You know, the Lord's going to come when he's ready. Amen. It doesn't matter what nation is, is good or bad or how far they've slipped or whatever. When the time is right, he will come. And that's what Jesus is saying here. It is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put into his own authority. Jesus told him earlier on when before he was crucified. He said, no man knows the hour. Amen. So we have to live our lives as though he might come in the next few minutes. It may be another 20 years. It may be another 150 years. We don't know. We look at the signs and things and we kind of pertain and say, well, seems like this is that and this is that. And so maybe it's, this could be the very end. It still might be another 150, 200 years. We don't know. All we do know is he said, I'll be with you until the end of the age. Yeah. Praise God. And he proved that today, didn't he? He proved to us that I'm still with those that follow me. Amen. And I will still grace them with my presence. Praise God. Hallelujah. So the Lord will return when he decides to, not when man says that he thinks he should. Amen. Verse eight says this, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now, I know a lot of people, Christian people, who just read the first half of that verse and all they ever talk about, well, you'll receive power when you get the Holy Spirit. Power to do what? Amen. Amen. To witness to who? To ourselves? To somebody else? Unto Jesus. Hallelujah. Power to witness of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit, listen to me very carefully. The Holy Spirit does not glorify himself. He doesn't glorify man. He doesn't glorify angels or anything else but Jesus. I'll read you this verse real quickly. And if you want to take a note, and you can read it yourself later, but from John 16, 13, and 14, Jesus speaking about the Holy Spirit come and said this, However, when He, the Spirit of truth, has come, He will guide you into all truth. He won't guide you into a lie. I know a lot of people have claimed to be prophets here lately, and they lied. That wasn't the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit doesn't lead you in lies. He leads you in truth. Praise God. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me. If the Holy Spirit's doing something, it's to be glorifying Jesus Christ, our Savior. It's not to be glorifying certain gifts or certain callings or certain people. It will be glorifying Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. So he will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. Praise God. The true power of the Holy Spirit is to declare the wonderful works of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. I've heard it all my life. People say, well, I believe the Spirit told me this and this and this. And I'm like, if it doesn't involve Jesus, I don't want to hear it. And I'm starting to learn that more all the time as I get older. I'm starting to realize what I can just shut down right there and cut it off. If it doesn't involve somebody telling me something about Jesus... If it's not glorifying Jesus, then I'm just not worried about it. It might be spiritual, but there's other spirits in this world, right? There's false spirits that tell you lies. 
So we have to believe the truth. Amen? Amen. Verse 9 says this. Well, let's read verse 8 again. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And that's where a lot of people stop. And they say, well, I've got power with God. I have certain gifts. I've got power with God. I've got power with God. What is the power for? He tells us in the very next sentences. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and where? To the end of the earth. So if the Holy Spirit's doing something, it'll be talking about Jesus and his wonderful works. Amen. Amen. Verse 9. Now when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel. And verse 11 says, Who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will so, will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. This same Jesus. Not something different than they saw. Not something different than they ate their meal with him. Not something different than the one who had already cooked them some fish and bread on the fire when they were out fishing, right? This same Jesus that you just saw go into the clouds and heaven received him out of your sight, he will return one day in the exact same manner in the clouds of heaven, praise God. Revelation talks about it. And he comes with the clouds and every eye shall see him. Praise God. Amen. Amen. Verses 12. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. And when they had entered, they went into well, went up into the upper room where they were staying, Peter, James, John, and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas the son of James, the one that we sometimes is referred to as Jude. Verse 14, it says, And these all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. Lots been said over the years about one accord, one mind, one prayer, and in uh, one accord and in prayer. I like to say it this way. They were in agreement, praying for the Lord to guide them on what to do next. The Lord had, had, been, had been taken into heaven out of their sight, into the clouds and into heaven. And now there was another 10-day period. There was nothing going on other than them being together and praying together. So no doubt they were praying and asking for guidance in their life. What do we do next? What do we expect? I have to believe that they were reciting the Lord's Prayer as part of their supplications. Jesus told them when they asked him one time, remember, Lord, teach us to pray. And he said, this is how I want you to pray. I have to believe that during those 10 days, they probably said that prayer a few times. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen? Amen. I want you to also notice in verse 14, Christianity gets a lot of flack because people are now calling it closed-minded and it's bigoted and whatever. There's a lot of things that get said about it. But I want you to notice that at the time this was happening, there was not a religion on the face of the earth where women were involved in anything. 
They were told to be quiet, cover your face, and stay away. Don't even come out in public, basically. I want you to look at the last part of verse 14. These all continue with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. You know all those ladies that followed Jesus around and helped him with everything going on in those three and a half years? Remember, it was, a, it was the women who at first announced that he'd risen from the dead. And remember, the apostles didn't believe him at first, right? The Lord Jesus Christ involves every human being. Amen? He doesn't disregard any other human being. All can be a part of his family. All can receive forgiveness of sins. Amen? And it's very interesting to me that these ladies were a part of this gathering in the upper room. Praise God. Amen? Amen. Now, verses 15 through 26, is we'll just read through those. There's not a whole lot we'll dwell on there, but this is where there's a, a replacement needed to be picked for Judas. Remember, Judas is the one who betrayed Jesus and then went out and hanged himself, right? And so now we've only got 11 hand-picked people by Jesus, so they decided that they needed to, to have somebody take over for Judas's spot so they'd still have 12. So let's read verses 15 to 26 together. And in those days, Peter stood up, in the midst of the, of the disciples, altogether the number of names was about 120, and said, Men and brethren, this scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke before by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered with us and obtained a part in this ministry. Now this man purchased a field with the wages of iniquity and, and falling headlong, he burst open into the middle, in the middle and all his entrails gushed out. And it became known to all those dwelling in Jerusalem, so that field is called in their own language, Akeldama, that is, field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, let his dwelling place be desolate and let no one live in it and let another take his office. Verse 21 says, Therefore, of these men who have accompanied us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John to that day when he was taken up from us, one of these must become a witness of us, with us of his resurrection. And they proposed to Joseph called Barsabas, who was surnamed Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, you, O Lord, you know the hearts of all. Show which of these two you have chosen to take part in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas by transgression fell that he might go to his own place. And they cast lots and the lot fell on Matthias and he was numbered with the 11 apostles. Chapter two and verses one through four. Now it says, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues of fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now when it says there in, in verse 1, it says the day of Pentecost had fully come. There's an interesting thing happening here. Pentecost means 50 days. That's why it's called Penta, okay? It was 50 days after the Passover that they were able to have this Feast of Pentecost, they called it. It was given under the law of Moses, and the Jews of that day still celebrated it, okay? 
So during the feast of, of Passover, see we had the Passover and then 50 days later you had Pentecost. Well, what happened at Passover was a very solemn occasion. There were very strict rules about that feast. A few of them were, I'll just mention the few main points. During the feast of Passover, they could not have yeast in their meals or even in their houses for that whole week, for that matter. Now, we know that in the Bible that yeast or leaven, or sometimes the King James calls it leaven, which was the same thing as yeast, was always used to signify sinfulness in, in, in people's bodies or sinfulness in a group of people or whatever. And it was like it's something just like yeast. It just spreads through the whole lump of dough, okay? Yeast and leaven is commonly used in the Bible to represent sin. So the feast of Passover was a very strict and solemn occasion and God wanted them to be reminded during that feast of Passover that there's no sin can even be, no sin, there's no sin can be anywhere. Because that Passover lamb had to be killed and it had to be completely blemish free, correct? So now what's the difference between the Passover feast and the feast at Pentecost? The feast of Pentecost, however, was the opposite. It was still a solemn occasion, but during this time they were allowed to have yeast in their food. wonder why that was. Why did God have one feast that you couldn't have yeast, and then 50 days later you could have a feast that you were allowed to have yeast? What was the Almighty up to? What was the divine wisdom of God doing all that time back before, even through the law of Moses? He was preparing them for this day right here. In chapter 2, verse 1, when the day of Pentecost had come, 50 days later, look what was getting ready to happen. This was symbolizing that God had forgiven their sins. They were allowed to have yeast in their food during this feast. Once again, symbolizing God had forgiven their sins. It is interesting that on the day of Pentecost is when the Holy Spirit was given to men who lived in sinful flesh. These are the same guys that didn't believe Jesus has raised from the dead. These are the same guys that right before Jesus was crucified were still arguing about who was going to be the greatest. These are the same guys who when the women came and told him, we've seen the Lord, he's raised, and they said that's just idle tales. These are guys who still didn't have everything worked out, did they? They still didn't know exactly what to do. Isn't it interesting that God was getting ready to give the Holy Spirit into men and women who didn't have it all worked out. Who were still living in sinful flesh just like you and I. You ever make a mistake after you accepted Christ? You better believe it. But God didn't take his Holy Spirit away, did he? That's why it's important in verse 1 of chapter 2. The feast of Pentecost. The day of Pentecost had finally come. What was God signifying? He knows we're imperfect people. Now, that doesn't mean we don't try and make an effort. But he knows at the end of the day, we still are but flesh. But he gave the gift of the Holy Spirit to these same guys who were still torn inside about what to believe and what was true and what they should do and what they shouldn't do, on and on and on. No different than you and I. Amen. You ever faced with a decision and you just don't know whether what the right decision is? God knows that but he still gave his Holy Spirit to help us along the way. Amen? Amen. I love that part of the story. Verses 5 through 11. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, 
devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. Then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not these who speak Galileans? And how is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? Parthen, Parthians and Medes and Elamites, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya adjoining Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. There have been a lot of people have manipulated this portion of the scripture to make it about speaking in tongues, which is more or less a lot of gibberish, and there's never any interpretation or anything like that. These people fully understood what these guys were saying. They were speaking a language that they had not learned. And what were they speaking? Were they glorifying themselves? Were they glorifying angels? Were they glorifying anything? What were they doing? They were speaking the wonderful works of God. And those foreigners who were around hearing it were like, wait a minute, these guys are from Galilee. They're not learned. They're not educated. They're just simple folk. But they're speaking my own language and I hear them speaking perfectly, glorifying God. And it caused quite a commotion, didn't it? That would cause quite a commotion for me. Have you ever heard someone speak another language? Japanese or something like that? You can hear them talking and you're like, I don't know what they're saying. Don't have a clue. But if all of a sudden that person switched what they were saying and began speaking perfect English, saying glory to God, praise Jesus Christ the Savior, that he died on a cross and freed us from our sin, that'd get your attention, wouldn't it? That would get your attention. I'll tell you a little interesting story that happened to me. It, didn't, it wasn't anything to do with tongues or anything, but uh, when I first started driving a school bus, uh, something had happened and I, and I was having to drive out at the bus garage and so for some reason, Michelle had to run errands and she had to come back and pick me up that evening. So I didn't have a car. And if you know my wife very long, she usually doesn't show up when she's supposed to. <laughs> she's usually a little bit late or sometimes a lot late. So anyways, the, the time had passed. It was after five o'clock. Everybody out there went home. The gates were shut and I'm still sitting on the front step at the bus garage and I'm waiting on Michelle. And for some reason, I didn't have a cell phone. I don't know what the deal was. And uh, there used to be a little fellow that walked around in Princeton and he'd walk around everywhere and you'd see him picking up cans on the side of the road. <laughs> All of a sudden I looked and here he come. Man, he just made a beeline for me. He'd come over and he sat right down, I mean rubbing elbows with me. And he started talking with me. And so we got to talking the thing and he was telling me all these weird stories and stuff. And he said that he'd been 10 miles that day walking and just lots of different things. And then one time he said he'd been five miles. And anyways, he's just going on and on about silly things and, and stuff. And, and I'm kind of just downplaying it. I'm like, well, you know, poor fella. He, he's just a little different or whatever. All the while thinking, man, I wish Michelle would hurry up and get here. I'm, you know, I'm getting a little uncomfortable. <laughs> it's like I'd like to get out of here and go home. All of a sudden, I never have forgotten this. He just turned and looked at me in the face. And now his head right here. He turned and looked at me. He said, I believe Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. He died for my sins. He went to the clouds and he's going to come again. You believe it? And I'm telling you, a chill went down my spine. And that man knew the gospel. 
And it shocked me there for a minute because I knew that the Holy Spirit had given him that to say to me, to show me something. That the Holy Spirit is not bound by any physical limitations or any earthly limitations. I was thinking this guy, well, you know, this guy's one of those special people and, and I was just trying to, you know, talk with him a few minutes. He knew the gospel. And I still feel that tingle go down my spine right now that the Holy Spirit is not bound by languages. He's not bound by differences in upbringing. He's not bound by any of them things. He can use whomever he wants to glorify Jesus Christ. Amen. I experienced that firsthand. Amen. Amen. The unbelievers who had heard this going on, they understood perfectly what they were saying. Verse 11 says that they were speaking about what? The wonderful works of God. Amen. Verse 12. So they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, whatever could this mean? You'd probably wonder that too, wouldn't you? What is going on here? Something strange has happened, right? Others were mocking and said, ah, they're full of new wine, or in other words, they're drunk. They're just, we would say today, we, we don't seem to have as much problem with drunk today as we do with people getting high. We'd say, ah, they're just high on something, right? They're just silly people. Verse 14 says, But Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words. For these are not drunk, as you suppose, seeing it is only the third hour of the day, which roughly translates to about nine o'clock. Okay? So he was basically saying it's too early in the morning for people to be drunk. Usually they get drunk toward the end of the day. This is people just getting out of bed are not drunk yet. Verse 16 says, but this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out of my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And on my men servants and my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke, the sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming and great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Jesus, or Peter was explaining some of the words of Jesus and explaining to them exactly what was taking place. He was telling them, you know this prophecy that Joel spoke hundreds of years ago? Just like it was said this morning when Jesus showed up at Capernaum and he said, this day, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing that he sent me here to preach the gospel. Peter is now here on the day of Pentecost saying, these guys aren't drunk too early in the day for that. I'm going to tell you what's happening. You know what Joel said a few hundred years ago? It's happening right now. That's what you're witnessing. That's what you're seeing and that's what you're experiencing. Amen. Amen. In verses 22 through 36 is our next uh, segment that we'll read. And this is basically Peter preaching the first sermon in the New Testament age of grace. You want to talk about one of the best sermons ever preached? I, li I list the Sermon on the Mount by Jesus as one, and I list this one right here as number two. Greatest sermons ever preached. Because the first one is always the best. Amen? Amen. So this is Peter now. He's going to preach to them Jesus Christ. And let's take a look at what he said. Verse 22, men in Israel, men of Israel, I'm sorry, men of Israel, hear these words. 
Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which he did through him in your midst, as you yourself also know. Him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified, and put to death. The first thing I want you to notice right there, as we just briefly mentioned it in verse 22, Peter made mention that Jesus of Nazareth was approved by God through what? Miracles, signs, and wonders and the things he did. You remember a lot of the times when you would read the Gospels, there was people would come to Jesus and say, we know God has to be with this man or he couldn't do these things. And that's just a, another reiteration of what Peter's saying. God proved, approved of Jesus because of all the things he did. Has there ever been anybody else raise people from the dead, give sight to the blind, hearing to the ones who couldn't hear, and on and on and on. And so Peter starts the sermon that way. God has approved Jesus of Nazareth. He was on his side. And then in verse 23, we see the most important next part of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that he was crucified and put to death. You can't effectively preach the gospel of Jesus Christ and not preach that he was crucified on a cross. It's in the very first sermon. Think about that. The first is always the standard, right? So this is the first sermon that's being preached about Jesus. Verse 24. Whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be healed by it. Next we see that Jesus, the, the presentation of the gospel of Jesus Christ has to be involved with him being raised from the dead or resurrected. Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth, approved by God, hanged on a cross and crucified, raised from the dead because it was not possible that death could hold him. Amen? Amen. Verse 25, For David says concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart rejoiced and my tongue was glad. Moreover, my flesh also will rest in hope. For you will not leave my soul in Hades, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of joy in your presence. Men and brethren, let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Therefore, being a prophet and knowing that God has sworn with an oath to him, that of the fruit of his body, according to the flesh, he would raise up the Christ to sit on his throne. He, foreseeing this, spoke concerning the resurrection of the Christ, that his soul was not left in Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God has raised up, of which we are all witnesses. Therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this which you now see and hear. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he says himself, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Amen. Verse 33 is another major part of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Sometimes we, get, we leave it out. A lot of people don't talk about it. We talk about the death, burial, and resurrection. We also have to talk about the ascension that Jesus went back to heaven and he's seated at the right hand of the Father 
on the throne of heaven. Okay, This was given in the first gospel sermon and it should be also a part of our doctrine. Amen. That Jesus is seated at the right hand of power. Why does he do that? The Bible teaches us that he makes intercession for you and I on behalf of us. See, the Father could look at us and say, you know, old Nathan there, buddy, you blew it again. But if he belongs to Jesus, you know what Jesus said? That's one of mine. I've forgiven him. And guess what? There's no issue now. Praise the Lord. That's why it's important that Jesus rose, not only rose from the dead, but he ascended back to the Father. Amen. And he's seated there for you and I. Amen. We talked about it last week, remember? He did a lot of things and everything he did was why? Because he loves us. Because he loves us. Amen. Amen. Verse 36. <clears throat> Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Everything hinges on Jesus. That's simply what that's saying. We don't have to get real super deep with that. You can, but we don't have to get real deep with that. Everything hinges on Jesus. Jesus said the Holy Spirit will testify and glorify me. Now Peter is saying under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that everything hinges on Jesus. Amen. The Holy Spirit is just the helper. He's the comforter. He helps us guide us and remember what Jesus said. Amen. Amen. Verse 37. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? That's just good old-fashioned what we call conviction. They'd heard this gospel, and all of a sudden it just landed square on their chest. Well, what do we do? I got Something's got to give. I, I feel this conviction. You know, when you got saved, there was some type of a conviction that brought you to that point. Then you, then you experienced just the love and mercy of God, and it just drew you right in, didn't it? And so that's what these guys are saying now. They've, they've been explained, that, well, you heard all these different languages and people glorifying God. Now Peter said, this is what happened and this is what you did to him. And so now they said, well, what should we do about that? What should we do? Then Peter said to them in verse 38, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus and they would receive the Holy Spirit. Repent means to turn away, to think differently, and ultimately act differently. There's a gospel that has gone forth in the world today that doesn't include repentance. There has to be repentance first. When we come under conviction of God Almighty, the first thing we have to do is repent. Think differently. Act differently. Do the opposite of what our natural impulse is to do. That's what repentance means. So he tells them, repent. Think and act differently. Don't think the way we used to. Like we said, we talk about it a lot. Somebody makes you mad when we were sinners and when we were kids, we just haul off and punch people, right? Get in a fight. Just do whatever. Born again, we have to think differently, right? That's what repentance means. That's a continual thing. You don't just repent one and done. Sometimes on a daily basis, we need to repent. Sometimes on a minute-to-minute -minute basis, depending on the situation, right? Sometimes we're really mad. We start thinking thoughts we shouldn't think and want to get a hold of somebody, put a hurting on them, and we have to say, Lord, help me, Lord, help me, Lord, help me, you know? So repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, and you will receive the Holy Spirit. 
being baptized was a public demonstration of faith and obedience before the people of God. That's simply all it was. Amen? Amen. Verse 39, I like this verse. For the promise is to everybody that acts good. This promise is for everybody that gets it all worked out and never makes mistakes. I don't see that in there to you. Look what it says. For this promise is to you and to who? Your children. You mean God loves me enough to save me as bad as I was, but even though maybe my children might go astray, he loves them enough that he's going to give them this gift of salvation? <laughs> Absolutely. Right there's the promise. Amen? Amen. Isn't that beautiful? And he doesn't stop there. What is that? What are those guys that do those infomercials? Oh, there's still more. That's not all, right? That's what the hell they try to sell you stuff. It's not just for you and your children. Look at the next part of that verse. And to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. You know, our ancestors, I think we're all pretty common here. Most of our ancestors, we believe, are, are, were Europeans, what we call Europeans. We were not included in the, in the promises of Israel. Our people, our ancestors, we were what they called the Gauls, okay, the, the ruthless people. That was our ancestors. Somehow or another, at some point in time, God got involved in our families, <laughs> and here we are today. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. And verse 40 says, And with many other words he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. And I just had one little note on that I'll share with you. Meaning, be saved from the wickedness of this world. Accept Christ, receive the Holy Spirit, and then you'll be born again. And you will think and act differently. Be saved from this. What, what is the one problem that we, we see in, as Christians in our world today? Our world and our society has really come, become perverse. But it was perverse then too. And Peter's speaking on the, preaching the first gospel sermon. Be saved from this perverse generation. You don't have to act like them and think like them. Be saved from it. Think and act differently. Amen? Amen. I've done God excited here and lost my place. Verse 41. <laughs> then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. A pretty big altar call. Amen? That's a pretty good sized one right there. 3,000. And he must have a pretty good body of water because evidently they were taking every one of them and baptizing everyone. That was, a, that was a long day, wasn't it? Amen. But it was a good day. Verse 42 says, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. I like in verse 42, it talks about doctrine and fellowship. And I thought about this this morning. Doctrine and fellowship are key in the church. It was key that in, in this early church, and it's key if the church wants to succeed today. Amen? Eating meals together and praying together are vital. They did that. If they did it, the modern-day church can do it. Amen? Amen? Verse 43. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common. 
and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. They did many signs that were similar to the ones Jesus did. People were being healed, miraculous things taking place, and these people saw it and, and it just concreted their belief in, in the gospel. Uh, in verses 43, 44 and 45 there where we read, had all things common, these first Christians really were a community or a family. Think about that. They had all things common, and, and if somebody had a need, they all pitched together and tried to make sure their need was taken care of or whatever the case may be. They truly were a community, truly were a family. Amen? Amen. Verse 46, and we're circling in here. We're about done this morning. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. Gladness for what? Happy to be saved and happy to be a part of the community. Our brother mentioned that as we started this morning. I'm glad to be a part of the kingdom of heaven. And that's what they rejoiced in continually, amen? Simplicity of heart. Not trying to change doctrine or add to it or take away from it, but rejoicing in the simple message of the gospel. I think that's where so many people right now get confused is they listen to this one and this one and this one and there's so many people just trying to get so complex with everything. The early church didn't do that. They just rejoiced in the simplicity of the gospel. I've been forgiven. Jesus died for my sins. Just like I mentioned the little fellow a while ago. Here I was thinking I was on a whole different plane mentally than him, right? But he told me the truth. Amen. Jesus Christ died for my sins. You believe it? That's what he asked me. You believe it? Amen. So you see simplicity of the gospel. And in verse 47, praising God and having favor with all the people and the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Praising God, why? Thankful to God for the wonderful privilege of being forgiven of our sins. And the last point I'm going to make as we close this morning is that last part of the verse. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Who added? The Lord. We do our part. We've got a part to play. We've got a role to play. There's things we need to do. But ultimately... We fellowship with one another. We eat our meals and have church together with gladness and simplicity, praising God for his wonderful works. And then the Lord will add whomever he chooses. Amen. I don't think you have to have a great big program trying to figure out how to get people to come. Just do what we're supposed to do and word will get out. Amen. Amen. Let's close with that today and we'll pick up again next week in chapter three. But let's pray as we close our service this morning. Father, we come to you once again today we give you thanks god for your tender mercy to us we thank you lord for these two chapters we've read here today about the birth of the early church hallelujah how it was born and how it began lord we see here that things were much simpler then than what we have tried to make them sometimes in our world help us return to that simplicity of the gospel of jesus christ 
I pray for each and every one here today, Lord, that you just give them a refound and a, a newfound joy today, that their sins are forgiven, they've been born again, and that now we're in a, a community and in a family who cares and loves for them. So, Lord, we just give you thanks for that today. Help them to be encouraged this week and go forth in, in this uh, rejoicing in the goodness of God and declaring the works of God to whomever you show us to re declare it to. And I pray, Lord, you keep them all safe until the next appointed time we meet. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.